Amen. Good singing from all of you and from the choir tonight. 1 Samuel chapter number 12 in your Bibles. Choir did a fantastic job. I enjoyed listening to them practice before I went up for teen ensemble. can tell you this, just a little uh, word of advice. When you walk into the church service just in time for the church service, two thumbs up. I'm glad you're here on time. But there's something about being prepared and on time. Now, I'm not, I am, I have been hounded by a certain pastor for the last 20 some years about not being early for most things. All right. He tells me, if you're not early, you're late. And I say, well, I'm just trying to save time. I'm doing other stuff, you know, right up until the moment of it. But there is something to be said for having enough time for your heart to settle for your mind to settle before the things of God. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to the choir. Choir, you have done an outstanding job the last couple of months. I mean, I don't know what you've done, but you have. uh, Justin, uh, wherever, if he's back there somewhere, did he step out? He has done a great job preparing you, but he can only do so much. You have to be there. You're the one putting the voices out. Thank you for that. I enjoy. They're going to be singing a couple of songs that I love over the next couple weeks, not because I picked them, but uh, any song about the love of God, the love of God is my favorite song, and they're doing, I think they were talking about how great the Father's love to us, and uh, here is love, and so we've got got some good treats in store for us over the couple next few weeks. By the way, let me make a plug for the choir. Um, They're doing a great job, all right? I promise you, there's nothing you can do to make them not sound good, all right? So why don't you come up here and join them? And you can sound good too, and everybody will think it's you. And we'll, I mean, we'll just say it's the choir already singing there, but if you're up there with them, we'll count you in as well. And you can enjoy that opportunity of preparing your heart before the service for what God has for us in His Word. 1 Samuel chapter number 12 tonight. And uh, this is, uh, can you back me up one, Brother Jared? I didn't see that, and I went forward. Samuel's soapbox is what I'm going to call it. Um, I've heard people call it Samuel's swan song. It is the very end of his life, and he's going to stand before the people of Israel. But before we get into this, I want you to kind of get the mindset in your mind. If you'll take your Bibles and go back with me to Psalm cha- or to 1 Samuel chapter number 10, The Bible says in verse number one, then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his, that Saul's head, and kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be be captain over his inheritance? Now let me ask you this question. Was Saul's God's choice to be the king of Israel at that time? I guess I should answer that. No. Now God did point out Saul. But God was the, the head of the nation of Israel. They were a theocracy. Uh, God was uh, in, in the forefront. They didn't need a king. But they wanted to be like the people around them. Can we just put down a little peg here? We serve a God of multiple chances. Uh, they failed right here. God could have turned his back on the nation of Israel, and yet he didn't. And then Samuel, as his prophet, is able to say there in verse number one, is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? Uh, there's something to be said for worshiping a God who will take you and I with all of our frailties and all of our sin, and let's call it that because much of our frailty is sin, and he'll still choose to use us. He sees us the way that he does over in the first Corinthians. We have this earthen vessel holding the treasure of Jesus Christ in our life. It's not the vessel that's worth so much. It is the the treasure that is inside 
that vessel that is worth so much. And so Samuel anoints Saul as the king of Israel. You go over to chapter number 11, and you've got the nation of Israel. Actually, jump back down to me. I want you to see responses here. Verse number 25, let's pick up in verse number 24. Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah. And there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. Listen, totally different plan than what God had for the nation of Israel. But God can use any situation we're going through. And so now God uses Samuel, and he anoints Saul. Saul's the king. He goes through. He says to him, this is the guy that God has picked. Is there anybody like him? And then the Bible says that God works in the hearts of some of the other Israelite men. God, God touched their hearts, and they go with Saul. They said, we're going to hold him strong. We may have made a mistake, but God's going to use us in spite of it, and we're going to accomplish great things for him. Can I tell you this? You and I have to be willing to go with God's plan, even if it's not our first choice. Look what the Bible says in verse number 27. But the children of Belial said, How shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents. And look at the wisdom of Saul. But he held his peace. He zipped it up. They pointed at question at him and said, This man, this guy can't save us. It wasn't God's original plan. There's no way that God can work things out, and yet God is a God of second and third and fourth and 17th chances, and God works it out here. How, do, how does God work it out? Verse number one of chapter 11. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition will I make a covenant with you. In other words, the men come to him and they say, Nahash, you're going to destroy us. We cannot defend ourselves. There's absolutely no way. Remember, this is just after Saul has been anointed. And so the people of Israel are not used to a king fighting for them. They aren't used to having someone to come and protect them. Before, it's been get on our knees and ask the Lord to do something. But Jabesh comes up and they said, they said, Jabesh, make a covenant with us. Make a treaty with us. Don't destroy us. If you look through the next verses, Jabesh says, I'll make a treaty with you all right. Here's what will happen. I'll come up and I'll take every one of you, you fighting men and we're going we're gonna to poke out your right eye. So that as you hold up that, that shield over your left eye, you won't be able to see anything. You'll be useless to fight against me. And now the people are saying, wait a minute. Now, I, don't think that, I don't think that works out real well for us. Pick up verse number, uh, verse number three. The elders of Jabesh said unto him, give us seven days respite that we may send messengers to all the coast of Israel. And then if there be no man to save us, we'll come out to thee. He said, we don't want to do this, but unless somebody's going to come and help us out, I guess we're going to have to have to, have to sign this treaty and we're all going to line up and you're going to stab our eyes out and that'll be the end of it. I want you to notice, what did, the Bible, what did those men of Belial say about, about Saul back in verse 27 of chapter 10? He, he said they despised him. I'm sorry, the children of Belial said, how shall this man save us? He can't do it. And yet God had chosen him. 
in the midst of difficult situations, in the midst of a nation of people who had still chosen to sin against God, God still blessed them. God still said, I'll choose someone to save you. And so now you've got, you've got Jabesh come up, you've got the people of Gilead saying, wait a minute, we've got to try to find somebody who'll save us or else we're going to have to go through this process of our eyes being poked out. Verse number 5, And behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field, I mean, chapter 11, verse 5. And Saul said, Why aileth the people that they weep? And they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. He took a yoke of oxen. He cuts them up. You go through the next several verses. Pick up with me down in verse number 11. And so it was on the morrow, and it was so on the morrow that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the host in the morning watch and slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it came to pass that they which remained were scattered so that two of them were not left together. And the people said unto Samuel, Who is he that saith, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. And Saul said, Again, this is Saul. He said, There shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. Then Samuel sent to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. They all went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel greatly rejo- or rejoiced greatly. And so we see that God has taken what you and I, reading the pages of Scripture, would call a negative situation absolutely out of the will of God. And God said, you know what? I can still accomplish my will through this. Take heart. In the fact that when you and I sin, our God doesn't give up on us. He doesn't cross our name off and say, no more will I use them. You and I oftentimes can hold a grudge. We'll look at someone who has done wrong to us in the past, and we're fine. They can come to church as long as they sit on the other side of the, of the auditorium from us. And they better not try to speak to me in the hallway. They better not try to shake my hand. But I'm going to be a good Christian, and I'm going to smile. And every time I'm around them, I'm just never going to talk to them again. That's not the God that we serve. Can you imagine my God, your God, if he held a grudge against us every time we sinned? He could write our names off. We're done. He could say, that's it. But the Bible says that in in John chapter number 10, once we're in the Father's hand, no man can pluck us out of his hand. He will never, never turn his back on us. He's a God of multiple chances. And we'll see tonight that Samuel realizes all this that has gone on. Now, Samuel was the one who told the people, "You you, you don't need a king. God is your king. And the people said, nay, we want to be like the people around us. Choose us out a king. And now we've seen what has happened since the time that he anointed him. Pick up with me in, verse number, in chapter number 12, if you would. And Samuel, this is where they've all gone to, uh, back in verse 15 of chapter 11, they've all gone to Gilgal to make Saul king. And Samuel is an old man at this point. And Samuel more or less has said, okay, you want a king, you've got a king now. And I'm sure this has been an emotionally draining time for him. As he recalls the years of ministry and the memories that God has allowed him to be involved in, as he starts to proclaim all these things, in verse number one, Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice in all that you said over me, unto me, and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walketh before you, and I am old and gray-headed. 
And while he's there, old and gray-headed, I'm sure his mind goes back to Eli. And the first time as his mom had taken him and dedicated him to the service of the Lord, and as a little boy, he's laying on that bed, and he hears, Samuel! Samuel! And he gets up quickly and runs into Eli's bedroom. And he says, Speak. And Eli says, I don't need you. I didn't call for you. Samuel goes back, Samuel! Samuel! And he runs back in, and Eli says, I didn't call for you, but Samuel, a man, or I'm sorry, Eli, a man of God, perceives that the Lord is calling him. And he said, Next time, Samuel, just say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And that's exactly what happens. Then his mind probably goes on to the time where the Ark of the Covenant was captured and Eli falls off backward and dies. And he remembers victory after victory that God has given the people of Israel. All that has happened. And he stands before them and he makes the statement in verse number two and three, in verse number three and four Behold, here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose ass have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or of whose hand have I received any bribes to blind mine eyes therewith? And I will restore you. Samuel is an old man who's lived a life of integrity. He's lived a life following what the Lord has expected of him. The joy of living a life to honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is this. We come to the end and we don't have to write down all of the regrets. The Bible tells us that we are to have an answer to give to every man. But we're not told to be rude to those around us. We're to be a testimony of what a, a servant of God ought to be. But you'll notice that we just saw a couple of situations where Saul was very careful in the way that he answered. If only Saul would have followed Samuel's example and lived his life out. Saul started out fantastic in the things that he did for God. The question for you and I tonight is at this point in our life, are we getting weary? Are we going to continue to serve God till the very end? That's why Samuel pulls up that soapbox there in Gilgal, and he pulls it up and he says, you point out to me and tell me if I've done anything wrong. Why would he ask the people that? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. First reason, very simply, is that he wants them to realize his testimony. But second of all, when we live a godly life, people will respect that. Even if they don't respect us while we're making those decisions, they will look back on us. They will remember the things that are happening. Had an interesting thing this week. I was out uh, getting something to eat with some folks from church, and a young lady who hasn't been in our youth group in, my goodness, it's probably been 15 years, she came up to me at the restaurant, and she said, Pastor Taylor, I've got some things going on in my life. She said, I remember back when... I was a kid, and my family was going to your church that Pastor Weems helped our family with some things, helped us work through some things. She said, even though I don't go to church anymore, do you think I could come visit you and we could talk through some things? Listen, that's a testimony of our church, of something that happened at First Baptist Church of Toka years ago, but we've planted those seeds that we have stood for God in our community. And I got to reap the joy of that 
as I sat down and talked with her and her little girl and some situations that their family is going through and prayed with them. What a wonderful opportunity. But that's because our church has stood for God through the years. Our pastor has proclaimed clearly to us the word of God through the years. You as church members, oh, we're not perfect. Not a one of us in here is. Some of us have made bigger mistakes than others. Some of us have hidden our mistakes better. We've hidden our sins better than others. But every one of us has some of those. But we serve a God who will use us in spite of our failures. And if we will turn back to him, he will continue to use us. And so Samuel stands there and he asks them this statement. He says, Have you, uh, is there anything that I've done that has offended you? And look down with me in verse number four. The people agree with him. No, Samuel, you haven't. They said, Thou hast not defrauded us nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. And he said unto them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that ye have not found aught in my hand. And they answered, He is a witness. What a joy it is when someone will come and remind us, as this young lady did for me this week, of the importance of standing for Christ. The importance of having a testimony in our neighborhood. The importance of people pointing out and saying, you know what, that church wants to worship Jesus Christ the right way. They want to make sure that he gets the glory and not every person that steps up on the stage right there. And Samuel says, okay, we've got our basis here set. You realize that I've lived for Christ and you agree with me there. He said, so based on my reputation and based on the fact that you acknowledge that I'm serving God, let me share some things with you. And so he points out the past to them. And as he does that, he bases it simply on the fact of what God has done in his life. Acts chapter 24, verse number 16. Paul is able to say the same thing. He said, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. You see, if my conscience is void of offense, then people will listen. 1 Timothy 1.19, Holding faith and a good conscience. And then it continues on, which some have put away concerning faith, making a shipwreck. And so we've got that importance of having a good reputation. How do, we, how do I have a good reputation so that I can point out to folks what's going on? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 5, tells us that every thought has to be in subjection to Christ. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Not only every thought, every word. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. I've got to make sure my thoughts are in subjection, my words, my deeds. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And our motives. You see, you and I, one of the most dangerous places we can be is in somebody else's head trying to figure out their motives. But our God knows our motives. 
And so he says, every thought must be in subjection, every word must be in subjection, every deed must be in subjection. And he says, yea, even the modus. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then God says, hey, I'll answer that question. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. God says, I'll be the one that judges your motive. Don't you worry about what everybody else says. They may be right. They may be wrong. If you make sure that your thoughts, your words, your deeds, and your motives are subject to Christ, then God says, I'll take care of your reputation. And so he points the past out to the people around him. Samuel reminds the people of God's faithfulness and God's mercy. Pick up with me in verse number 6. And Samuel said unto the people, It is the Lord that, advanceth Mo- that advanced Moses and Aaron, and that brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did to you and to your fathers. And he's going to go through, a, through several actions where God did them. Can, can you pick out with me in one section right, right here as the past is pointed out? He said in verse number 7, Now, therefore, stand still. It's amazing to me that the Bible over and over again brings out the same concept. I promise I did not look out this passage when I was studying out peace this morning. Those that, when we love his law, that, that we'll have peace and nothing will offend us. And yet, as I was studying this today and finishing up my outline, I said, I can't believe that is right there. We've got to slow down. And ask our God, why do we need to slow down? Why do we need to stand still? Numbers chapter 9, verse number 8. The, the Bible says this. And Moses said unto them, stand still, and I, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. First reason we need to stand still is because I can't listen to God when I'm running very well. I mean, when we're zipping back and forth and somebody's trying to talk to us, we're only going to get part of the conversation. And so we've got to stand still so we can hear what God has. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 27 tells us to stand still, not just to listen to God, but to learn the word of God. 1 Samuel 9, 27. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, bid the servant pass on before us. And he passed on. And then he said to Saul, but stand thou still a while that I may show thee the word of God. We've got to stand still for it. Job 37. Job says, don't just stand still so that you can listen to God. Don't just stand still so that you can learn the word of God. Stand still to see what God has done. Count his works. Hearken unto this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Then why else do we need to stand still? Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. If I don't stand still, I'm not going to know my God. I'm not going to listen to my God. I'm not going to be able to learn my God, about his word. I'm not going to be able to count his works. And I'm not going to be able to build my relationship with him until I take that time to slow down. As Samuel continues to speak to the people, he tells them, You've been so busy. You wanted a king. You're following uh, Saul. He's been fighting this battle. You've been fighting that battle. And now we're here and we are anointing him. And he said, I'm getting ready to uh, pass off the scene. I'm an old guy. 
He said, but don't get so busy that you, don't, that you can't stand still and listen to and learn from and know your God. And then he warns them. He said that there are going to be some, there's going to be some thoughts of rebellion that are going to come through. Pick up with me in verse number 14. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. Did you see the phraseology there? Very interesting to me. He said, if ye, he's talking to the people here. He said, if ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then who's going to continue to follow the Lord? You see, he said, you serve and obey, follow, don't rebel. But then he says, there's two groups of people, if you'll do all those things, who will follow the Lord. Who, who are they? He said, first of all, you. And then he also says in verse number 14, Then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. Bible principle here, that God will give us the leadership that we deserve. God will give us the leadership that he wants us to have based on where we are following him. Next time you think about complaining about our current government, you think about, are you doing what Samuel ad advised the people of Israel to do? Fear the Lord, serve Him, obey His voice, and not rebel against them. You see, we as a nation have turned our back on our God. And so God has given us the government. Listen, continue to pray. Paul, uh, Samuel's going to do that in verse number 15. He says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. And he says down in verse number um, 23, moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. You see, they had, they had forsaken Samuel's advice. He's the one that had said, no, 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 God is your king. They turned his back, but yet, Samuel said, but it would be a sin on my part not to continue to pay, pray for you, even though maybe I don't agree with your decisions. When's the last time you turned your back and chose not to pray for someone? You said, I'm done with them. You wiped your hands. said, because they aren't making the decisions that I think are good. Samuel said, that's a sin against God. It's my job to pray for you, even if I don't agree with what you're doing. So he gave these remarks about rebellion. He said, verse number 15 that we just read, if you won't obey, but if you rebel against him, then shall the hand come. And then he gives them a sign of this. Now therefore stand, verse number 16, and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? In other words, he said, hey, it's the time of year where it is warm. The wheat harvest is coming. There's no rain this time of year. He said, it's wheat harvest. And they all looked up in the air and they all pulled out their cell phones to check what the weather was going to be like, you know. And they said, yep, there's no, there's no rain on the forecast for the next three weeks, okay? Not going to happen. But Samuel, because of his relationship with the Lord, he says, it's, it's uh, wheat season, nothing's going to happen. But let me show you what will happen if you rebel against the Lord, if you don't obey Him, if you don't serve Him, if you don't follow Him. Verse number 17 
Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord, and he shall send thunder and rain, that he may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking you a king. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the people, as Samuel's praying, they're saying, no, Samuel, don't do it, Samuel. Why? Because when that rain came down, they were just about ready to harvest their wheat. And when that rain came down, it would cause much of that wheat to rot on the stalk. And Samuel says, I'm trying to illustrate to you that God's going to bless you as you serve him. And he's going to remind you when you turn your back on him. He's going to get your attention. Verse number 18, so Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord. And Samuel... And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God that we die not. Said Samuel, this is not good for us. Pray for us that we die not. And then I want you to notice, he goes into these remarks about rebellion, and then he goes right into, as he, as he warns them about rebellion, he's just up on his soapbox, he's preaching them, he's warning them about their future. But when you and I proclaim to folks and share with them what God can do for them, it's going to convict them of their past sin. He doesn't even bring it up right here. He doesn't even say anything about the king in, in this specific portion of his speech. But look what the Bible says in verse number uh, 18, the very end of it, the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And verse number 19, all the people said unto Samuel, pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God that we die not. And then catch this, for we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. Do you realize that finally, after all of these weeks and months of Samuel's warning, finally, they admit that what they did was wrong. Up to this, all they've been doing is saying, we want a king, we want a king. Look it, he, he can't save us. Yes, he can save us. We just got uh, Jabesh Gilead reserved. And Samuel starts going in and said, don't you turn your back, don't turn your back on God. Follow God, obey God. And all of a sudden, the conviction from the Holy Spirit starts to hit those people. And they said, we failed. Samuel, pray for us. You see, Samuel was showing God's power with that rain. But that rain as it came down, that thunder as it came down, reminded people that God judges sin. And it pointed out the specific sin that they had in their life right there. Then if you pick up with me in verse number 20, we have requirements for blessing. And Samuel said to the people, Fear not. You have done all this wickedness, Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. What do you think the combined uh, reaction was to that? I mean, here Samuel's been up there. He's preaching to him. He said, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray to the Lord. He's going to send a storm, okay? He's going to send thunder and rain, and boom, it happens. I mean, and he's already, he, you, you already know that, that he's upset because you've got a king. And... Samuel, please pray for us. Samuel, if you'll just pray, God's going to kill us right here, okay? The next piece of lightning comes down. It's probably coming for me. Samuel, please, please pray for us. And Samuel says, time out, time out. We're done with all that. God forgives. When you confess what you did, God will forgive. And so he picks up in verse number 20. Fear not. He said, yeah, I agree with you. Everything you did was wickedness. But you serve a God who loves you in spite of it. And he says, 
Let's try this all over again. The middle of verse number 20. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedness, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. I want you to notice three quick requirements for blessing. And then we will close our Bibles for the evening. Look in verses 20 through 22. The first requirement is that they should not turn aside. God is reminding them that they still need to make the Lord their king. No one is exempt from God's laws. Samuel assures them that the Lord will not forsake them. Don't let your past failures shackle your life. God can restore you to usefulness and will do great things for for you. Notice what it says here. Verse 20, it says, Fear not, yet turn not aside from following the Lord. Verse 21, Turn ye not aside, for then you should go after other things, uh, which are vain or empty things. And then look in verse number 22. Here's Here's a piece of doctrine teaching of the Bible. You and I are not worthy of anything. But look what the Bible says about why God will not forsake us. He says in verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people because they follow him and obey him in their great thing. Now that's not what it says. It says, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. And then it goes on and says, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. You're chosen. God has chosen. And he's not going to fail you, not because you and I are perfect, not because you and I are so useful, but God's not going to turn his back on you. He's not going to fail you because he promised he wouldn't do it. And so if he were to turn his back on you, he'd break his promise. He would be God no more. So once God has made the promise to you and I that he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us, there is nothing that you and I can do that would cause him to break that promise. Because as we saw there at the end of that verse, God chose us as his people. Second thing, not only do we not turn aside, but verse 23 and 24, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear God and serve him in truth with all your heart. Second thing, is that there has to be total dedication, absolute 100%. Listen, that's what gets us in trouble, is when we are just half-heartedly into it. Saul starts out as the king here. We've seen everything good, but just a, you're gonna, if you jump up to the chapter number 13, you're going to find that Saul year, reigned one year, and then the second year came. And with the second year of his reign, things started to fall apart. Why? Because he had jumped in with two feet, but dedication waned in his life. It slowed down. They were to serve the Lord with all their heart. They were to pray with fervency and dedication. Some may ask, is failing to pray a sin? We mentioned that a minute ago. Yes, it is. Verse 23 sure indicates that. That's convicting, isn't it? The time you didn't pray is a sin. Ouch. I don't know about you, but that comes home. I had to spend some time on my knees this afternoon 
as I, God reminded me of, of that thought. That I, it is my responsibility. I remember a uh, missionary, a, a story of a missionary that she was teaching overseas, teaching kids about prayer. And uh, she was teaching them what to pray, and she held up her left hand to show all of the kids. And as she did that, she said, as I hold it up there, my thumb is closest to me. She said, which reminds me to pray for those who are near me, my family, my friends, my neighbors, my loved ones. She said, my pointer finger is, is or my index finger is pointing. She said, that reminds me to, to pray for those who are in leadership, my pastors and my teachers who are always pointing out to me the word of God. She said, my middle finger is the largest one and it stands over the others. It reminds me to pray for rulers and people who are in authority. She said, my fourth finger is honestly my weakest finger. It's the one that we usually have least control over. She said, it reminds me to pray for those who are sick and those who are weak. And then she said, my pinky finger is my smallest one. It reminds me to pray for me, you know, that I need God to help me. And just that little simple thing, that's people that we can pray for with just off of our fingers and a reminder to pray. But yes, it's, it's important that we pray, that we, keep our, uh, that we are totally dedicated. And prayer is one of those aspects in life that takes a lot of dedication because it's work. Praying for your meal, simple. Praying in a church service where somebody else is doing most of the praying and we're back and forth and it just takes a couple minutes. But if you'll set a timer and say, you know what, I'm going to pray for the next 22 minutes, you will find it is work. You're going to have to do some preliminary searching, putting together a really good prayer list. And you're going to have to find a whole bunch of different names to call God. Otherwise, you're just going to be repeating the same thing over. It's work. It's work. We've got to give total dedication to our God. And then the third thing that Samuel told the people here as a requirement for blessing, pick up in verse number 24, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. He said in the next phrase, for consider how great things he hath done for you. Last thing is that tally your blessings. If I'm going to be blessed by the Lord, I have to be thankful for what he's done in the past. I have to recognize that my God has gone out of his way to be good to me. Samuel was a man of integrity. He stood before the people here nearing the end of his life. And he shared with them all of these lessons. And all of these lessons were based on the fact that he had lived a life to serve God. He had lived a life of integrity. He asked them to point out any failings. And listen, Samuel was not perfect. But he said, I haven't taken anything from any man. I have not been bribed. I have served my God faithfully. And he was a testimony to the people of Israel. And he took a people who had made some sinful choices and he said, God can use you anyways if you'll turn back to him. And if you'll follow him, if you'll obey him, obey him, you'll serve him, you'll not rebel against him. Then God will use you in spite of who you are. Not because of you are great, but because he's God and he's promised to use you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord, we're so grateful for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the example of prophet Samuel. Came as a young boy to the temple. Lord, came as a young boy as an answer to the prayer request of a mama with a broken heart. She said, Lord, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you all the years of his life. 
What a testimony to the impact that parents can have in their children's lives. And Samuel, submissive to his mom's desire, submissive to his God's desire. So, so many wonderful things happen in the lives of the people of Israel because of the greatness of their God. And here, as the people have made a choice to set aside God as their leader and to choose a king, Samuel once again comes to them and implores them to turn their hearts back to God to serve God. Father, thank you that you will forgive our sins if we are faithful and just to confess them to you. Lord, you you declare us just, righteously just, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Lord, help us to continue to come back to you when we sin, not to turn, not to bow up our back, but to come back and be used as the people of Israel were given that chance once again. Thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's all stand. Take our song books number, song number 489. What song is that, brother? I surrender all. The people of Israel, a lot of ups and a lot of downs in their lives. And yet their God was faithful all through. There's something in your life, uh, we, we can call it a mistake, the Bible calls it sin. But you need to confess, tonight is the night to do that. Walk out the doors of this auditorium this night knowing there's nothing between you and your God. Knowing that you can serve Him to the absolute best of your ability, the abilities that He 